In his book entitled Mission Drift, Peter Greer writes the following. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Here's a mission statement of a very well-known university. To be plainly, here, here it is, quote, to be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. This university was founded in 1636. Uh, at first, the university employed exclusively Christian professors. They emphasized character formation in its students above all else, and they rooted all of its policies and practices in a Christian worldview. The school served as a bastion of academic excellence and Christian distinction. And this mission statement, however, is not from Dallas Theological Seminary. It's not from Wheaton College. It is from Harvard University. The statement described their founding mission. Harvard began as a school, believe it or not, to equip ministers to share the good news. And look at where Harvard is today. So why do I bring that up? What's the point on homecoming day? I bring that up to say this. We are not immune to this. Any Christian group, whether it be a college or a seminary, such as modern-day Liberty University, or a parachurch ministry like Samaritan's Purse, who does the shoebox stuff, or this local church, Hillsborough Baptist Church, no, all Christian groups are susceptible to experience what, experiencing what's called mission drift, which is it's encapsulated in that phrase, drifting from the original mission from which they set out to accomplish. And for us as a church, for us as Hillsborough, to stay on course, I think it's imperative that we constantly reflect on our original heritage, to reflect on our original purpose. Why are we here in 2023? Now, in the ultimate sense, the way that we accomplish that, the way that we're refreshed to stay on task and on target, is by opening God's Word week after week, right? Expounding the Word of God, expounding the text, seeing who are we? What is our identity? What is our mission? What is our purpose? Who has God called us to be? That's what we do week after week through the sermon time. And you have to know as Baptists, uh, and if you're not a Baptist, you're a Baptist for these, this next hour, all right? So um, one thing Baptists are known for, or Christians in general, but I think true of Baptist, is we're known as people of the book. Have you ever heard that phrase before? We are people of the book, the book referring to the Word of God. And I myself, I'm a big sola scriptura guy, which means I believe the Word of God is the authority, it is inerrant, it's perfect, it's sufficient for everything that we need in life, everything we think we do. A big sola scriptura guy. But having said that, local church history is valuable. Right? Church history in general, right? reflecting on where did our ancestors come from, what did they think through, what did they wrestle through. But again, for the context of the day, local church history is valuable. It's important, it's significant, because you and I, we need a dose of humility. Because we're not the first people to think through these questions. Like, why am I here? We're not the first people to think through, what is the purpose of the church? Right? We've had many ancestors, some of them your direct ancestors, who've been a part of this church, who have wrestled through these topics and prayed through these topics together. And we all would do well to consider, what did they say? What did they think? So today is special because we're kicking off a new series as a church and by which we wrestle through our past, present, and future. 
with the goal of staying on mission, staying on target, on task for the purpose of Christ. And today, we're asking a simple question, that is this, why did Hillsborough Baptist Church start in the first place? What did our founders emphasize? What did they focus on back in the 1830s? And then next week, Lord willing, I'm going to continue and kind of shift towards the present and wrestle through our doctrine or our beliefs and basically be asking, what do we believe as a church? Or at the very least, what should we believe as a church? What are some important things that we should be united on together? Then lastly, we'll reflect on the mission statement and where that leads us into the future and the near future. So for the remainder of our time this morning on Homecoming Day, I want to look at Hillsborough's founding constitution and covenant back from 1839. And I'm not going to read it all verbatim. If you would like a copy of it, if you'd like to see it with your own eyes, please talk to me afterwards. I'd love to get it into your hands. But I do want to do my best to dissect it more or less line by line because it's, it's rich with some good stuff there. And just unpack what do they think, what do they mean, and offer some biblical reflections on who we ought to be as a church. Reflect on the past, not to live in the past, not to just live in the glory days as sometimes um, we can be guilty of. Reflect on the past so that we can faithfully live in the present. So why did Hillsborough start back in 1830s? You, know, you want to know what the plain reason is according to the Constitution and Covenant? Well, simply because they wanted a church in this local area. Okay? Keep in mind, this was before the day of cars. You can't just drive to one of a hundred options of churches. Right? The believers in the Crozet, it wasn't called Crozet back then, but the believers in this area, they want, who had a like mind, they had similar convictions, similar ideas of what a church ought to be, they simply wanted to worship it locally. So that's the, the plain reason. Why did Hillsborough start? Well, there's no church around here that, that, that's close enough to us that we can walk to or, or ride to in a reasonable manner. So that's the plain reason. But what's the kind of more foundational reason? I think this was beautiful, stumbling across this. Our founders wanted to experience joy. They wanted to start a church here because they wanted joy in their life. They wanted to experience more joy. How do I know that? Well, here's the, the literal verbiage for you. Quote, desirous, moreover, of enjoying the privilege which pertains to the people of God in a church relation. End quote. In other words, they were saying, we want to enjoy the blessing of being in a church community with other Christians. We want joy. We want happiness. We want to enjoy the blessing of a local church community. And here's something revolutionary that we all need to hear today. To experience joy in a local church, it's not simply a matter of showing up on Sunday morning and expecting the pastor or the musicians to entertain you and you walk out feeling good, right, to experience that joy. That is not at all the intention of the church. To experience joy, you have to work for it. You have to work hard for it. And our founders knew this, right? If you, let's, let's just say in theory, if you were going to run the Charlottesville 10-miler, again, assume this is joy for you, just for a moment. Suspend any kind of physical limitations or mental barriers you might have to that. Imagine that's joyful. To do that, to experience that, you have to put in work. You ha- there's some components in your life that you have to follow, right? I need to get up at this time to run at this hour. I need to eat these types of foods. I need to you know, do this and that. You need to work for that joy. And that's true with anything in life. If you want to go on a vacation, well, I need to work overtime so I can save up a little more. We get that. 
To experience joy in life, you have to put in the work. And that's true for us as a church as well. So I hope you all are ready and eager. Buckle up. I'm usually a, a three-point guy for, in terms of sermons. Today we're going over 14 marks of what a church must be. Keep in mind, these are going to be many points, all right? So you can evaluate how long there are. But 14 marks, right? These are, this is found in the Constitution and Covenant. 14 marks of what a church ought to be as we gather so that we stay on mission and on task. Number one, we gather voluntarily. We gather voluntarily. We're not here by compulsion. I hope you're not here because you're forced to be here. We're here because we want to be here. The truth in 2 Corinthians 9-7 applies to this. That, that verse says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That verse is explicitly about giving, right? Giving your money, giving tithes, offerings. But that principle applies to gathering. But the Lord doesn't want us to be in here solely because we're dragging our feet and solely because, oh, I have to be here. No, I want to be here. Right? The Lord loves one who gathers cheerfully, who gathers eagerly out of their own volition. And I hope that describes you. Right? So as a church, we need to gather voluntarily. Number two, we gather to serve the Lord and serve one another. In the verbiage of our founders, they said, quote, we want to give up ourselves under, unto the Lord and to one another. We don't really use that language today. I want to give up myself to somebody at church. Maybe in marriage we do, but not in the church context. But that's what they intended. We come to serve the Lord and to serve other people. And as you, in your life, as you are looking for a church to join, whether you're part of one or looking for one, I personally think it's vitally important that you do come to be fed personally. But that's, there's multiple reasons of why we gather on Sundays, but one of the primary reasons is I need to be fed. I need the Word of God. I need to digest and, and have an intake of the meat and the milk of God's Word. That's important. All right, I get that. Having said that, it is wrong if we gather for that reason alone. Because we didn't come not just to be served, but to what? In the footsteps of our Savior, to serve. For Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve, give his life out as a ransom for many. Mark 10.45. So it is wrong. All right, let me be clear on this. It is wrong if you exclusively or if you foremostly think about a church whether it be Hillsborough or your own local context, if you think, how does this church perfectly align with my desires and my preferences? How does this church perfectly cater to what I want in life? How can I, what can I get out of it? Are those questions fair to ask? Right, I'm being extreme here. Right? You do need to wrestle through those things. Right? Is this a place where I can be fed, where I can grow, where I can serve? Right? I get that. But it's wrong if that's your sole focus. We ought to ask as we gather, how can I use my time, my money, my talents to serve the Lord through this church? That needs to be our attitude as Christians. That's number two. Number three, we gather as a church, quote, according to his word. To use the verbiage of Ephesians 4.21, Hillsborough Baptist Church needs to be a church that is in, quote, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. All of our operations, everything we do must be guided by this. Will we always do that perfectly? No. 
We never will. But nonetheless, that's what we ought to strive for continually. Remind ourselves of this is the authority, this is the truth. Let's be conformed to what Christ has laid out. We gather according to his word. That's why mission statement, know God's word. That's why it's primary. It's it's of first importance. Know the word of God. Number four, why do we gather? Or how should we gather? We gather as one body under one head. We are one church serving one master. 1 Corinthians 12 is the essential text on this. Uh, I encourage you to read it in your own time. But there, 1 Corinthians 12, it repeatedly states uh, there are many parts. There are many members, many different gifts, many different personalities. Right? For today's context. Some of you here present, some of you like to talk. Others of you are rather quiet. Some of you can sing on key. Others of you, well, the Lord bless you, right? We all, the point is, we all need one another, okay? We cannot discount anybody because they don't perfectly conform to my personality. God says, you need everyone. I want everyone to be in harmony with one another. We are one body and we gather as such, serving our one head, Jesus Christ. Number five, we gather, quote, again, from the Constitution, we gather, quote, to exist and act by the rules of the gospel. To exist and act by the rules of the gospel. Now, this might sound similar to according to the word of God, right? We gather according to the word, but this is a little more nuanced, a little more specific, right? Exist and act. Everything we do in life, all of our actions, all of our speech, all of our thoughts, everything must be governed by the word of God. So that means practically, when you're about to be in line for food in a few moments, the person in front of you is taking their sweet time looking over everything. The gospel shapes how you treat them. And how is that? With patience, with grace, with compassion. right? Because that's how the Lord treats us in Christ. That's the whole point. How does God treat us? That's how we treat others. Our actions must be shaped by the gospel. That's number five. Number six, as we gather, quote, we promise to do all things by divine assistance. Our founders, they knew that all of this church talk was of the highest order. But this is some high-level stuff, some very daunting things to live up to. They knew that. So they said, in everything we do as a church, every ministry, every capacity, everything we do, we promise to do all things by divine assistance. What does that mean for you and I, brothers and sisters? We need the Spirit of God. A lamp that is not plugged in is worthless. And likewise, a church that is not actively and continually plugged in to the power of the Spirit of God is worthless. If you and I do not seek the Spirit, if we do not live according to the Spirit, we are wasting our time. And I'm not talking about going necessarily crazy and you have to speak in tongues and all that. I'm not mentioning that. I'm talking about living in accordance with the power of the Spirit. We need to do that as a church. Number seven, we gather, quote, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. What does that mean? Again, whole sermons can be preached on that, right? Denying yourself, taking up your cross, following Jesus. I simply say this, gathering in a local church is not easy. It is not easy. It takes hard work. It takes perseverance, 
persistence and a whole lot of forgiveness. All right, a whole lot of love to, to tie it all together. But it is very worth it. Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the sufferings of the cross for the joy that was on the other end. Right? I'm not saying that a church, gathering as a church, being a church member, I'm not saying that's easy. Right? It's very hard. But God says, if you persevere, if you persist, if you forgive, if you love one another, there is joy in the morning. Fight for the joy of the Lord. That's what I say, why I say every Sunday, we are a broken church filled with broken people. Right? I'm not tr- trying to pretend like Hillsborough is this perfect beacon on a hill. Right? We're broken people. But if we strive to serve one another, endure the hardships together, well then, there will be joy. As you may have heard, kind of those like pastoral uh, phrases in sermons that, I, I, this is not original, you may have heard this, but there's no testimony without a test. There's no crown without a cross. And there's no victory without a fight. Right? That's true in the Christian life. That's true in a Christian church. Number eight. Right? We're over halfway there. Right? I told you this was going to go fast. Right? Number eight. We gather so we'll, quote, keep the faith. This is from Timothy 4.7. This is where Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What does that mean? If you unpack that verse, that passage the same theme pops up. The Christian life is hard. I've kept the faith. I've held on to the faith. I have endured to the end. The past couple of years, by the grace of God, one thing I was interested in doing was running the marathon in Richmond, Virginia. And the only, one of the only ways I can do it, it's not because I'm some strong person, one of the only ways practically I can do it is, one, they have snack stations throughout all right. And number two, there's a huge crowd of people scattered throughout the marathon that just bolster you on and just say, yeah, whoa, keep going, keep going. That's part of the only way I can do it, and many people can do it, because it's hard to do that on your own if you're just in silence on a treadmill. Right? It's, it's pretty hard to endure that long. Similarly with the Christian life, right? to endure, to persevere, to get through the hardships, you need Christian community. You need others to encourage you, to tell you, keep going. I know it's hard right now, but keep going. I'm here to run alongside you, to walk alongside you. I'm here for you. Keep going. That's what it means to keep the faith. We need one another. This ties into number nine. We gather, quote, to assemble ourselves together. Now you might be wondering, well, pastor, isn't that a little bit redundant? We gather to assemble ourselves together? Yes, 1830, that is redundant. But in 2023, in this culture where it's so tempting to just open up your laptop or look at your phone and think, you know what, if I just watch this sermon or this service at this church somewhere, well, then I'm covered. I've met my quota for the week. That is absolute hogwash if that's all you do. Okay? Be clear on that. I'm not saying it's not beneficial and supplemental to enjoy those things. I do that myself. But you and I need face-to-face fellowship with God's people. Hebrews chapter 10, 24-25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Here's that famous phrase. 
not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. In Second John, which in the men's Bible study, we just went over that. Second John is the shortest book in the Bible by verse count, 13 verses. John says in verse 12, I have much to write to you. This is at the ending of the letter. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that why? So that our joy can be complete. There's something special and powerful about simply being together. It's hard to scientifically parse it apart and give you precise reasons why it's powerful, but think about your own home, the, the supper meal, right? Or dinner, if you call it dinner, right? The supper, the evening meal, gathering around the table. It doesn't necessarily matter what the conversation, how it may steer, but there's something powerful about being together around the table that you can't just scientifically argue for. And that's what I'm talking about, the local church. We need to be face-to-face. Number 10, we gather, quote, to love the brethren. Romans 12, verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. As the Apostle Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 13, if you give all your money to the church, if you serve in all the committees, all the different places where you can serve in the church and volunteer, If you go to all the Bible studies, if you teach, if you preach, if you do all of this stuff, but you do not have love, it is worthless. So as we gather, it's central that we love the brethren. We love one another. We show God's love to one another. Number 11, we gather, quote, to submit one to another in the Lord. This comes from Ephesians 5.21. Uh, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, how does one submit? Have you ever thought about that? How do you submit to one another in the church? Well, just think about the most basic sense of the word submission or submit. What is it an attitude of? You above me. Again, it's a very plain, straightforward way of thinking through it. You above me. And our founders knew that as we gather, it's not about asserting my own preference, asserting my own ideas. It's about putting others above myself, submitting one to another in the Lord. Number 12, we gather, quote, to bear one another's burdens. This comes from Galatians 6, 2. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. How many of you all have seen Lord of the Rings? Let me see by show of hands. How many of you have not seen it by show of hands? Let me just see. Of curiosity. Okay, that's all right. Have you at least heard of it? For those of you who haven't seen it. So in the movie, uh, two of the main characters are Frodo and a guy named Sam, Sam Wise Gamgee. Frodo is carrying what's known as the Ring of Power. It's this kind of demonic, powerful, dark ring. The, The intention, the whole point of the movie is we need to take it to Mount Doom, which is this volcano place, and just drop it in the lava so it'll be destroyed to vanquish evil, right? That's kind of the whole thrust of the movie. But Frodo is the one carrying it around his neck on a chain. So at the, very, the last movie, the third one, there's a very moving scene, very famous scene, in which Samwise Gamgee, his partner, um, travel companion, says to Frodo, I can't carry it for you, referring to the ring. I cannot carry that ring for you, 
but I can carry you. And then Sam proceeds to put Frodo, a fireman carry, and walks up the volcano to throw the ring in the side. I think it's a very beautiful image of what we are called to do as Christians. Right? Literally, we may not be able to carry the burdens that you may be going through, to literally take it upon myself, and it's literally my problem, but we can carry you, carry one another through, through our prayers and through our presence. That's how we carry one another in the church, through our prayers, through our presence. And that's why we gather, right? Because Christian life is hard. Life is hard in general. We need one another. Number 13, we gather, quote, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. I've said this before, and this, that comes from Ephesians 4. You might be familiar with that. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. Now, I've said this before, but the devil does not care about how big a church is. He could care less. What scares the devil is if a church is, uni- is united or unified. Now, it's not just united in general, because there are plenty of churches around here and in the country and around the world that are united, but that are united in sin, united in error, right? What scares him, and what God loves, right, conversely, is being united in the truth, being united in the Spirit of God. So as a church, to continually, right, why are we talking about all this? Remember, to experience the joy of the Lord in the church. To do that, we must strive for unity in the Spirit. How do we do that practically? What does that look like? It's kind of a vague concept. Strive for unity in the Spirit. Well, who is the Spirit called? Spirit of truth. His Word is truth. We are united in the truth. That's why we open God's Word week after week. And finally, brothers and sisters, number 14. This one's a little awkward for me to, to say, but you'll get why. We gather, quote, to honor and, man, and maintain them that have rule over us in the Lord. Right? It's, again, a little awkward for me, but it is biblical. And I do have to say it because it is replete throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament in particular. Hebrews 13, verse 7 and verse 17 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Then verse 17, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Now, when we hear that, when I hear that, I think it's quick for us to always immediately point to the other side of the coin and think, oh, my, well, that leader or my leader, my pastor, whatever, well, they need to be the ones living the good life. They need to be that pure in- person of integrity and, and live in an honorable way so that I will honor them. Is that true? Absolutely, right? Two sides of the same coin. But remember, that's on them. You're called to honor. And it's not, you have to understand, this is not about finding the perfect pastor, supporting the perfect leader, because you'll never find one. This is about God's structure. What do I mean by that? Think about God's design of authority. Children, honor your parents. Not because your parents are perfect, but because I said so. Right? This is the order I've created. Everybody, everybody here today, honor the government, honor the president, honor your leaders, the government leaders over you. doesn't mean you have to love them, you have to vote for them. That means to honor them. Same thing with church people or Christians and pastors or leaders. Honor them, not because they're perfect, 
but because this is the order that I've called you to. And church, let me just say practically, right? It's kind of awkward for me to bring up, but what's the greatest way that you might be able to honor me? It's not about me, just understand that. But what's the greatest way you honor me? It's not by titles. It's not by um, even gifts, although they're well appreciated, right? I love gifts. Everybody loves gifts. That's not the greatest way you honor. The greatest way you honor someone is by praying for them. Think about the same thing with government leaders. How do you honor them practically? Pray for them. So church, please pray for me. Pray that I may proclaim Christ clearly, that I might live a pure life before the Lord, and that I might declare God's word fearlessly as Paul himself requested in Colossians and Ephesians of that, those churches there. So church family, and guests who have come home for this mini reunion, I end by saying this. There is joy to be found in the church. There is joy to be found in the church. There is happiness that comes from gathering with God's people. But for us, for Hillsborough Baptist Church, to experience that joy of fellowship, we must work hard. It's not easy. It is not cheap. We must work hard because it's very costly. But it's worth it. It is worth it. So church, let's work hard so that we may not drift. Let's work hard so that we'll stay on task and on target for the mission of Christ, for which he initially set us out to achieve. Conclusion, will you join me in prayer? And then we will uh, close with the doxology and we'll be dismissed. Our Father, as has already been echoed this morning, we thank you for the 184 years of faithfulness to which you've shown this church. This church has been through a lot of ups and downs, a lot of transitions, a lot of different people moving in and out. But Father, our desire here is for us to continue to remain a beacon of light in this community that you'll help us to speak the truth, to do so in love, that you'll help us to stand upon the inerrancy, the perfection, the sufficiency of your word, that you'll help us to be a church that loves one another, that loves the lost, that you'll help us to be a church that is active and passionate about missions, about spreading the gospel around the world. Holy Spirit, as our founders acknowledged, We need you. We need your divine assistance to do these very, very hard things that you've called us to do. But we know that through your power, through your presence, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Help us to rely upon Christ. Help us to seek to glorify him. And Father, please unite us now as we go our separate ways. Please be with those who have gone to other churches who are visiting for the day. Help them to be faithful in their local context. And Father, help us to not give up on the church, though the church may have given up on us at times. We do so not because the church is perfect, but because that's your very heart. You don't give up on your church. You don't give up on your people. Help us to have your heart, to remain committed, to remain passionate. It's for your glory that we pray these things. Commit them to you in Jesus' name. 
And, and lastly, Lord, one more thing. Pray that you'll please bless our fellowship time downstairs. Uh, thank you for those who have contributed food, those who have organized it, set up tables. Um, bless our fellowship time. Thank you for the blessing of being united together with your family. I commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.